morning. It's great to see you. If you've never met, my name is Jay. I'm a part of the team here. Um, it, you know, uh, parent-child dedication Sundays are so great because, again, it sort of accentuates our desire to, to move toward becoming family, from strangers to friends to family. Uh, but also it means just very practically there's a lot of new folks visiting, and that's true at our church uh, most Sundays. So um, I just want to say, this is like sidebar, really doesn't have much to do with the teaching, but it's kind of a personal invitation. I'm going to be here most of the day today, and I would love to meet you. It's a big church, and there's a lot of people, but um, today at 1230, uh, after the second service in the theater, we've got something called Discover Westgate. If you're new, I'll just share a bit of the vision and the mission of our church, why we're here, and there's a lot of um, opportunity for question and response. So if you're new to our church and you just want to find out more about who we are, uh, I'd love to meet you there at 1230. There's free lunch and uh, child care provided and uh, should be fun. And then at 315 today, we're going to be in the theater again uh, because the Niners and the Cowboys are playing today. And so <clears throat> I know a bunch of you probably already have plans. None of this is like a must. It's just kind of if you want to, if you can. So if you don't have plans today, again, I would love to meet you, and uh, we can root on the Niners together. And if you're a Cowboys fan, then don't come. God be with you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. S Steve is a Cowboys fan. He's actually going to the game today. So God have mercy on his soul, the grief <laughs> and the pain. So if you got no plans for the game, whether you're new or you've been around a, a long time, uh, we'd love to hang out, so um, come by the theater today at 315, we'll watch the game together, bring a snack to share if you want, and it uh, should be fun. Okay, let's begin here. Uh, you know, it's so, like parent-child dedications are so awesome because there's so much grace from the room toward just the crying babies, and the, you know, it's like, man, that's normal, that's like so sweet actually in a strange way, but it's not sweet for the parents, you know, like in the middle of the night with the newborn, there's like just crying because they're hungry or whatever. And uh, it's, it's jarring when you're a new parent. I remember this when we were new parents uh, because typically the nighttime is reserved for silence. But when you have a newborn baby in your home, it is not quiet in the middle of the night. And that, that sort of disruption to the silence is really jarring. And I want to start there. Um, some of you guys know what the word decibel means. Decibels are a unit of measurement for sound. And uh, so, like, the higher the decibel range on a particular sound, the louder, essentially, it is. So let me just show you some decibel ranges. Um, if you're at a fireworks show, your ears are ringing. They're hearing about 140 decibels. So it's pretty loud. Um, an airplane at takeoff is about 130 decibels. A uh, nightclub, those of you who, you know, went clubbing last night, your ears were being pierced at 110 decibels. Now, none of the parents during parent-child dedications, none of them were at nightclubs last night. I guarantee you that part of life is just long gone when you have young children. But young parents with young children, do not fret because a crying baby is also 110 decibels. So your ears are being harmed at the same rate, nightclub or your crying baby. Uh, freeway traffic, it's about 70 decibels. Uh, hum, the hum, the quiet hum of a refrigerator is about 50 decibels. A soft whisper is about 30 decibels. And just the sound of breathing is about 10 decibels. And um, this is not going to come as a surprise to you. Zero decibels is essentially the mark. That is the quietest sound that a person with average hearing can audibly hear. Zero 
decibels. But there are rooms called anechoic chambers. Anybody ever heard of anechoic chambers? My friend Nick, who's in my life group, he actually works uh, in this field, and so he's been in several anechoic chambers. Anechoic chambers are rooms that are specifically designed for silence. And uh, the quietest room in the world is the anechoic chamber at the Microsoft office in Redmond, Michigan. I'll show you a photo of it here. This is room 87 at the Microsoft office in Redmond, Washington. Uh, It's the quietest room in the world, and it has been studied, and it holds a decibel reading. This, like, doesn't make sense. It holds a decibel reading of negative 20.3 dB. Negative 20.3 decibels. So if you read articles about this room, what they say is that it's really disorienting to sit in this room for any length of time. Um, They say that when you sit in this room and sit quietly for just a few moments, you will begin to hear the sound of your own heart beating. And if you sit quietly for a little while longer and just really sit in stillness and silence, the room is so quiet that you can actually hear the grinding of your bones when your body begins to move. That's how quiet this room is. And um, the principal designer of this room is a man named Hundraj Gopal. He said this. He says that most people find the absence of sound deafening. What a line. The deafening absence of sound. You and I, we are inundated with noise pollution, literal noise pollution in our everyday lives because of population, technology, industrialization. Our world is literally louder than it has ever been. But beyond auditory sound, and maybe more dangerously, I would suggest to you, we, you and I, live with an alarming noisiness in our mental, emotional, and spiritual lives. It's not just what your ears hear. It's the um, incessant, chaotic, cacophonous noise that your heart, your mind, your soul is bombarded with every single day the noise of social and news media that overwhelms us, the noise of our own distorted ambitions and desires that consumes us, the noise of hustle culture screaming at us that will never catch up or measure up, the noise of our own inner dialogue flooding us constantly with doubt and anxiety, the noise of the enemy of God lying to us about our identity and destiny. Living with so much noise is distracting, and specifically, all the noise distracts us from hearing the most important things and the truest things. For the last few weeks, we've been in this sort of New Year uh, teaching series called A New Resilience, and we've been asking the question, in the midst of all of the challenges we face, the depletion and the division and the distraction, how, how can we move forward with God in such a way that we might live life and life to the full, the way he promised us? And the, the idea we're exploring is that resilience is key. We need to live with resilience, the aptitude and the ability and the conviction and the courage not to go around but to go through the challenge of depletion and division and distraction that we face. And today, as we sort of land the plane on this series, I want to talk about the challenge of distraction, the distraction of noise. What I have come to believe is that in a noisy world, silence is what resilience against distraction looks like. 
One writer puts it this way, silence is the new luxury. Silence is more exclusive and long-lasting than other luxuries. Silence is the only need that those who are on the constant lookout for the latest luxury can never attain. One of the key reasons why silence matters so much in resiliently fighting against distraction is because of silence's profound ability to hold our attention. To hold our attention. Neuroscience is showing that um, there are two specific ways that human attention works. Now, now, um, you can parse this out, and there's all sorts of different ways that it works, but two sort of major categories of how human attention works. And they're categorized into these two. Um, there is what is called bottom-up attention and then top-down attention. And here's how they describe it. I'm not a neuroscientist, but I've read a couple articles. Okay, okay. Bottom-up attention, here's how it works. Imagine that you are sitting quietly in a room and then somebody barges into the room. What happens? You're startled, yes? By the noise, by the sort of visual cues. And if you weren't expecting it, what happens? Well, this is what happens neurologically. Somebody barges into the room, they startle you, and the noise and the visual cues, what it does is it triggers neurons that begin in your ears and it moves up the back of your head to your brain in the blink of an eye. And when that happens, your body, for even a split second, initiates, uncontrolled, it initiates a defensive posture, right? This is what happens to all of us. You cannot control it. When somebody startles you, what does your body do? You're like, oh, right? Okay, this is a baseline attention. It's the same sort of neurological, physiological response that it, that's found in almost every vertebrate animal. So it's the animalistic sort of attention. You're living life, something startles you, and you get into a defensive posture. This is called bottom-up attention. This is the sort of attention um, that, again, we find in almost every vertebrate animal, and uh, it's the sort of attention that rarely sustains. This is what we mean, bottom-up attention is what we mean when we say things like, oh, that really grabbed my attention. Think about that phrase. Something external from you grabbed your attention. Uh, think about social media. Social media and news media today, I would suggest to you, is driven by bottom-up attention. This is where the phrase clickbait comes from. You see something, it grabs your attention, and you're like, I gotta know more. I have to say something about whatever it might be, right? This is bottom-up attention. It grabs your attention. It rarely sustains, though. It doesn't linger. Like somebody startles you and you don't, you don't stay in that defensive posture forever, right? Maybe it's your friend or your spouse or your roommate or something. You're like, oh, it's just you. And then you relax. That's how bottom-up attention works. There's another type of attention, though, that's called top-down attention. Imagine you walk into a room, uh, maybe a party. You go to a party, a Christmas party or something, and there's like, you know, 50 people in this giant room, Christmas music is playing, lots of noise, lots of activity, lots of people, lots of sound. 
And then in the midst of all of it, you hear off in the distance a faint noise, and the noise whispers your name. It's like all this noise, but then in the, you hear very faintly through the noise, Jay, right? You hear your name. And you look around, who said my name? And you can't tell. There's too many people. There's too much sound, too much noise. And you hear the faint noise again. Jay, what do you do? You begin to go on a search. You start seeking. And the way this works is when something um, grabs hold of your attention this way, rather than neurons beginning in your ears, moving up the back of your brain to your brain, the back of your head to your brain, when you faintly hear through the noise, top down, neurons actually begin in your brain, particularly the part of your brain designed for complex work. And then it begins to go down the pathway, the same pathways neurologically that light up when you're doing like difficult math or something. I mean, they have scanned this. This is called top down attention. This, this sort of neurological, physiological response is unique to human beings. It is not found in any other living creature on the planet, just you and me. This is the sort of attention that sparks curiosity. Top-down attention is the sort of attention that doesn't grab, it holds. It sends you on a journey. It sends you seeking. There's a writer, Seth Horowitz, in the New York Times about 10 years ago. He's got this fantastic line. He's talking about top-down, bottom-up attention. He said this, the richness of life doesn't lie in the loudness and the beat, but in the timbres and the variations that you can discern if you simply pay attention. Noise grabs our attention, but quiet or even silence is able to hold our attention. This is why in 1 Kings chapter 19, we read the story of a prophet named Elijah. Let me give you a little backstory here. Elijah is running for his, his life in this story. The queen of the land, an evil woman, is chasing him down. She wants to kill him. And he is fearful for his life. And he runs to the mountains. And then this is what the story says, 1 Kings 19. The Lord said to Elijah... Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God often speaks of himself in the third person, which he can, because he's God. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You and I often think to ourselves, you know, if only God would speak big and bold, loud and clear, I would do whatever he says. You ever said that to yourself? If God would just tell me, I would do it. Listen, I'm living my life the way I'm living it because God's not speaking loud enough. 
When it comes to resilience amidst distraction, what I've come to believe is that we often lack resilience not because we can't hear God necessarily, but because we are failing to hear God. Not because he isn't speaking, but because we expect him to speak like a roaring wind, a thundering earthquake, or a blazing fire. We fail to hear God. I fail to hear God because there is too much noise in my life And my expectation is that he will sound like the rest of the noise in my life, loud and clear, big and bold and distracting. And my ears have become unattuned to his gentle whisper. But the reason God most often does not shout and scream is because God is not interested in grabbing your attention and then letting it go. God is interested in holding your attention, in sending you on a curious search for him. One theologian puts it this way, not in fire and sword and slaughter, but by a secret voice speaking to the conscience, will God regain his sway over hearts. Another writer puts it this way, silence is a gateway to the soul and the soul is the gateway to God. Lisa already talked about it, but the Reset Conference this coming um, Saturday with our friend Glenn Pacquiam, Glenn is going to specifically talk about rhythms of rest and Sabbath and rhythms in some ways to silence the noise from your life to be able to hear God clearly. So if you're interested in this idea, um, I would invite you, encourage you, join us on Saturday. My belief is that silence is how we reorient our attention toward God and away from the noise. And this is important because what or who we give our attention to reveals what or who we value most, and it shapes who we become. Jesus models this. Mark chapter 1, this is one of um, you know, a half dozen examples in the Gospels where Jesus does something like this. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus regularly, consistently, listen, if you read the Gospel stories, his life is noisy. There are crowds of thousands that follow him around clamoring for him to do healings and to teach and to perform miracles and asking him questions. Who are you really? What are you really here to do? Are you the Messiah? I mean, Jesus's life is noise. It is chaos and cacophony. And yet regularly in the midst of that noise, what does Jesus do? This is Jesus, you guys, the son of God, God himself, sinless, What does he do? He goes off to a solitary place. That that translation, solitary place, is sort of, it's softening the blow of the original text. The phrase solitary place is actually a single word in the original Greek. And the word, the single word, it's not most often translated solitary place. It's translated most often wilderness. Jesus gets up very early in the morning while it's still dark and he goes off to the wilderness to pray. 
I've also come to believe that you and I, in order for us to resist distraction in our lives by way of silence, one of the ways we're going to have to do that is to unromanticize the life of prayer. So often in my life, over many years, I have sort of somehow subtly come to believe every time I quiet the noise and I sit down in a quiet space to pray that I should have some sort of earth-shattering revelation, that God needs to show up in a visual, literal way. That every time I pray, it's supposed to feel like Moses on the mountaintop with the glory of God shining upon me and me coming down from the mountain glowing, right? That's my expectation. And then the problem is I go to actually pray and it is nothing like that. I go into a quiet space to pray and then I find like early in the morning, like Jesus, I get up and I make my coffee and I turn on the light and I sit on the sofa and it's a dim room and I'm like, here it is. This is the mountaintop. And three minutes later, I'm falling asleep. I'm like this is, not, this is not how it goes in the Bible. Like Moses didn't fall asleep. You know what's crazy, though? There's a story in Genesis where Abraham is waiting for God, and you know what he does? He falls asleep. And then God steps toward sleeping Abraham. We have these images in our minds that quieting our lives and sitting with the Lord is supposed to always be epic. And let me tell you, one, from the scriptures, and two, from my own experience and the experience of many in this room, most of the time, the solitary place with God, the wilderness, most of the time, at least initially, it's totally ordinary and boring. But boredom is the path to renewal. If all you expect is for God to show up in flash and pizzazz, like everything else in culture, then you are wanting him to grab your attention. But remember what happens. We lose attention as quickly as it was grabbed. God's not interested in grabbing your attention. God is interested in holding your attention. And we have to unromanticize the life of prayer. Unromanticize... Um, the wilderness, quieting the noise and listening for God's gentle whisper is most, li- most typically like a journey into and through the wilderness. It is often lonely and barren and, again, boring sometimes. But when we make it a constant practice and return to the wilderness day after day, that lonely, barren, boring place can be transformed slowly but surely into a place of spiritual renewal. Renewal does not look like from zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds. The reason I know that is because I was looking at Teslas this morning, and that's how quickly they go from zero to 60. That's not what the, the life of prayer is not a Tesla. It's a 1992 Ford Taurus. You know what I mean? Like it's just putt-putting along. But stay there and return there enough. 
And I promise you, over the long haul, in ways that you don't even recognize, you will begin to experience a sort of renewal and the sort of resilience necessary to fight against the distractions of life. This is why the invitation to hear and to be silent, to be still, is just all over Scripture. Rosie read the beautiful passage, the Shema, earlier, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Psalm 62, for God alone my soul waits in what? Not in sound, in silence. And from him comes my salvation. Psalm 46, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And he, God, says, be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I was with our uh, Beautiful Day leadership team yesterday morning, and we had a brief meeting. They had a longer meeting. I just stepped in for a few moments. And my friend, Justin Frazier, uh, I don't know if Justin's here. Maybe he's coming to the next service. Um, he, he started to pray yesterday morning. And we've got all these challenges before us, trying to figure out what are the projects, and we've got to plan and prep for a beautiful day in October. And he begins to pray, and he prayed this beautiful um, line. He, he said, God, we don't know much, but we know you're good, and you're here. We don't know much, but we know you're good, and you're here. And to me, there was just a beauty in the quiet simplicity of that line. Sometimes I find myself, the distractions, all the stuff that grabs my attention, it gets me going, like my anxieties, my fears. And then my reaction often is to get big and to get loud because the noise is really big and the noise is really loud. And then my anxieties get really big and really loud. And so I just want to react and respond to that. But sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time, the, the most effective, the most resilient thing we can do is to take a deep breath and say, you know what, honestly, I just, I don't know much. But God is good. And he's here. And he's here not in the bigness. He's here in the quiet, in the silence. So a few um, practical takeaways. I just want to give you, a, this isn't like the end all, it's not comprehensive. There's a million other things you can do to practice silence in your life. But I just want to give you a few that I thought might be helpful to some of us. First, this week, a way to cultivate silence in your life, to go consistently to that solitary place with the Lord. One suggestion, delete the noisiest app on your phone and turn off notifications on your phone. I turned off notifications on my phone a year or two ago, probably a little longer than that. And it's such a game changer to not have my phone constantly ding with distracting reminders. And some of us are like, but then how will I know if whatever, fill in the blank, right? There are all sorts of ways. I mean, you could set, I think there's ways you can set like uh, your emergency contact, only their stuff comes through, you know. Or um, maybe what you need to tell your emergency contact or your spouse or whoever is like, hey, if you really need me, then just call me and I'll see your call come in. But I'm not going to look at texts or whatever, emails. Um, delete the noisiest apps. This is really hard to do. We've talked about this before. 
Um, but what is that app? Maybe it's a news app. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's Angry Birds. I don't know, right? But, like, delete it and see, see how that goes. It's a small incremental way to quiet your life just a little bit more. Um, another sort of connected suggestion I would suggest is uh, create and commit to limits on phone and media, whatever that looks like. You know, talk am- amongst your family, or if you live alone, just give some prayerful thought to that. What are some limits I'm going to create so that I can create margin and room in my life for other things? Maybe you set time limits, you know, like I'm not going to open my phone until this time in the morning. Uh, I'm not going to look at my phone after this time in the morning, or I'm going to not read the news until after lunch every day so my morning doesn't get hijacked by all that's happening. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I would, I would encourage you, um, create and commit to some limits. And then finally, um, set aside maybe three to five minutes a day this week to sit silently with God. Set aside three to five minutes a day. You guys, three to five minutes in the big scheme of things is nothing, but try sitting three to five minutes in silence. It will feel like the earlier quote, it is definite. But you're not going to know what to do with yourself. And let me just tell you, we've talked about this already, it will be boring for a while. You're just going to be bored. You're you're like, you're going to hate me on Tuesday. You're going to sit there at lunch. And it's going to be minute two of silence. You're going to be like, why did Jay ask me to do this? This is so dumb. Just sit through it anyways. Maybe read a passage of scripture beforehand that you can memorize, a single sentence. Something I've been doing uh, recently to just deal with, reckon with some anxiety I've been feeling is I've been reciting what's called a breath prayer. You guys know what that is? It's literally a prayer you say within the span of a breath. And I've been doing this throughout the day. And my breath prayer, it's a quote from someone I heard, my breath prayer for the last several months has been, God, I do not control outcomes. I don't control outcomes. They're yours. Just help me be faithful. And it's pretty boring most of the time. But it has changed me over the course of many months. So whatever that three to five minutes looks like, maybe it's centering prayer. Maybe it's practicing the daily office if you're interested in any of these. Again, you can just Google them. uh, Or if you come on Saturday, Glenn will kind of walk us through some of this stuff. I'm going to ask Mark and the team to come back up. And we're going to sing and respond here in a moment. But before we do... um, uh, I'm going to share a quick story with you, and then we're going to practice silence together in this room. Many years ago, when I was a youth pastor at another church here in town, wonderful church, that church had an elementary and middle school that was a part of the church ministry. And once a year, the church staff would try to serve the school staff, the faculty, the teachers, by giving all of the teachers the day off And all of the classes were taught and run by church staff, by pastors. I don't know if that was a good idea, but (laughs) it wasn't my idea. I was just told that's what we're going to do. The first year we did this, I was assigned, and I was at the time, I think I was like 25 years old or something. I was assigned the second grade classroom. It's so interesting because my daughter is in second grade now. And I just think to myself, how in the world? Did they let me, for an entire day, lead a bunch of seven- and eight-year-olds? That was a mistake. But um, So I was assigned the second-grade classroom, 
And I had all of these like creative ideas. I just thought this is gonna be awesome. You know, like I teach like sermons. This is how, how hard can it be? You know, that's what I thought. All the teachers in the room are laughing at me. So I go in there with my like lesson plan or whatever for second graders and you guys, like even at that age, they know, oh, it's substitute day. <laughs> that means it's Lord of the Flies. We, the inmates run the joint, you know? So I walk in there and I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. All right, second graders. And they're just going nuts. Like I might as well not be in there. They're just like making a mess of the room, screaming, throwing things at each other. I'm probably exaggerating, but it was not far off. And so it's just loud and chaotic. There's screaming and yelling and there's fighting over here. And these kids are like, whatever, right? It's just going nuts. And so what do I do as a 25-year-old? I just start screaming above them. I'm like, stop it. You're going to go to hell. Like I'm using <laughs> messed up theology just to scare them into behaving. You know, I'm just going nuts. I'm screaming with them and nothing is working. And then... One of the, the administrators, like a vice principal who was there that day, she was just walking up and down the classrooms. She sees my classroom and she, I mean, she's like a veteran teacher. She's like, okay, he needs help. So she walks into the room and I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. You answer my prayer. Here she is. And I'm expecting her to use her big booming voice to control this room. And she doesn't. She walks into the middle of the chaos and she just quietly stands there. She says nothing, but her silent presence quiets the room. And I was like, in my mind, I was thinking like, are you like a weird voodoo witch doctor or something? This is so strange. She says nothing. She stands in the middle of the room silently, and it's like the room begins to mirror her. And these kids quiet down, and they begin to sit around her, and then she begins to speak in a gentle whisper, and the room becomes controlled, and then she leaves, and it was chaos for another six hours the rest of the day, but whatever, forget that part of the story. This moment right here, incredible, incredible, because God does not want to grab your attention. He will most often, not never, but most often, he will not scream above the noise to, to get to you. He will whisper your name in the chaotic cacophony that is our world. He will, and he is, whispering your name. If only you would quiet yourself enough to hear. So let's do that now. I'm going to ask you, whether you're a Christian or not, even if this is like, I don't believe the Jesus stuff, first of all, we are thrilled you're here, but I think this is good for you even if you're not religious. Because what I know about you without knowing you is that your life is noisy. I know that because I've lived here in Silicon Valley almost my entire life, and you live here now, and this is a noisy place. So for all of us, and especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this isn't just good for you. This is an, it's an opportunity to quiet ourselves to hear from God. So here's what I want to ask. We're going to dim the lights. And I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes where you are. And try to clear your mind. 
You're thinking about stuff right now. When will he stop talking? What will I have for lunch? Will the Niners win? What's going to happen with that job situation? This relationship? Will things turn around? You're inundated right now with your anxiety, your fear, your doubt. I just want you to take a moment to do your best to quiet that noise. In fact, let me give you a practice. Some of you are going to be like, is this like weird new age stuff? It's not. It's um, actually an ancient Christian tradition called centering prayer. And maybe this will be helpful for some of you. I want you to visualize whatever is distracting you right now. Visualize it. And imagine it like a helium balloon and watch it float away in your mind. Like literally, just watch it float away. Keep doing that as you are distracted until you are clear of mind and heart. And let's sit in silence and listen for God just for a moment. God of peace, help us to find quiet confidence and silent strength in you. Help us to be still and know that you are God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.